0: to the Radical News Radio Hour with Serene Saade. You're listening to WFNU LP St. Paul Frogtown Community Radio 94.1 FM. This is our first episode and we're here to bring you your weekly dose of community news and an in-depth discussion of Twin Cities social movements. Today we're going to be talking about organizing in the age of COVID-19, giving you a legislative update, particularly with the end of the legislative session so soon, and talking about sustaining our mental health during this crisis. First, I want to thank Manny Mastis um, for that wonderful guitar introduction. That song is called Garden Street, and he's a former student of mine who, who gifted it to me to use for this show. I also want to thank all the individuals who participated in the making of this episode and WFNU for providing me space to do this show. You can follow me on Twitter at Miriam that's C- m-i-r-i-a-m to learn more about my work and visit my very much in progress website at journalismofcolor.com to learn more about me. First up, let's start with our legislative update. In Minnesota, our legislative session happens over two years. In odd number of years, the legislature put together a state budget and in even number of years like this one, they fund infrastructure projects. This year's legislative session is a little different than most, though, because we opened session with a massive surplus, and we're ending session with a deficit in a pandemic-related socioeconomic crisis. Here's Brett Grant, the Director of Research and Policy with Voices for Racial Justice. Um, He he notes that the governor introduced um, some equity and bonding priorities, but movement's been limited. He's going to give us a rundown on some other bills up for discussion in the Minnesota State Legislature and on equity-centered organizing happening around state and federal legislation. Just a note, Brett serves on the board of The Uptake, where I'm the executive director, and The Uptake is a sponsor for this first episode of the show, and and Brett's also an organizing partner. Now we're,
1: we're also looking at some work in Worthington, um, but right now most of our work is trying to figure out how in this new stimulus package coming from the federal government, more equity can be, can be realized in that what they're calling cares 2.0, because the first cares package just didn't really, it left out a bunch of groups like immigrant communities and refugee communities. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to think about, you know, how, how are we going to ensure that the equity when it comes to meeting these groups needs as well. And a lot of it, honestly, Serene, is just um, trying to figure out how to do this. You know, the session is going to be over on the 20th. Um, and so we're we're just supporting a lot of our coalitions, the Racial Equity and Joy Coalition that, you know, had some momentum with our bonding work before COVID, but after COVID, you know, we we, we set up a meeting a week ago with a legislator who didn't show up. To figure out, hey, what's going on with the equity and bonding bill? Um, mm-hmm. And that meeting was just to learn, to learn about, you know, what's 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 the process? What's going on with this now that we're in this pandemic? Mm-hmm. And you know, he just didn't show up, and no, no response, no follow up, no nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that I I think the coalition to increase teachers of color and in American Indian teachers in Minnesota, they just put out a a brief about um, where they are, a legislative update. And that that seemed positive. I think they're making some traction and got some language in the omnibus bill with some of their proposals. And I even think the, the governor's bill mentioned some of their proposals in, in there. So yeah, that's what it's been like for us.
0: According to Grant, many of the priorities that he's had to prioritize this session Um, or that he planned to prioritize have shifted uh, given the ways in which organizing and even legislative operations have shifted. For example, our most committee meetings are not happening in person at the Capitol anymore, which definitely puts a damper on the rallies and the lobbying that often happens in that space around this time. It's that organizing that we're going to be talking about next, but first I want to thank again our sponsor The Uptake for their support and I want to thank the station for pro- providing us space for this program. You can learn more about the uptake at theuptake.org and you can learn more about my work at journalismofcolor.com and on Twitter at c. Miriam. That's cmiriam. That's c m i r i a m. For now, welcome back to the first episode of the Radical News Radio Hour, our very first episode. This is Serene Sahate, your host and reporter for this show, and you're listening to WFNU LP 94.1 FM St. Paul. In my other life, I I teach community organizing, and one of the things that I've had to consider in my teaching this quarter is how is community organizing and the community organizing that I teach my students, how is that changing because of COVID-19? As a reporter, I'm just as interested in this question. I want to know what does it mean when organizing goes digital and our on-the-ground tools are no longer an option? And and by this, I mean tools like protests and relationship-building meetings and community discussions. And, and how do we respond to the issues around us as the politics and policies around us also change shape? Uh, think about it this way. Six months ago, Internet service providers were arguing that net neutrality the idea that the internet should be accessible to all without favor to specific providers or websites wasn't possible because data caps are a necessity and because the internet wasn't considered a public utility. Because of COVID-19, internet service providers have been slashing data caps and the internet has become more, than ever, uh, more important than ever and more necessary than ever as a household public utility because it's become our primary source for work, school, and community connection. Locally the work has changed too. For example, there's a temporary moratorium on evictions, but increased job insecurity. A local organization, and I apologize, I'm not going to try and pronounce their Spanish name because I will get it wrong. I speak Arabic and I can barely get that right most days. Um, But a local organization, Tenants United for Justice, or IX for short, has spent the last three years organizing for housing justice in Minneapolis, and they've been working to turn their apartments into a housing cooperative owned by the residents but with a statewide eviction moratorium, and as long as the peacetime emergency is in place, and several of the residents out of work, the organizing has shifted gears towards mutual aid. Here's Chloe Jackson, a tenant organizer and leader with IX.
2: it's shifted a lot because I work mainly with the base of the organization and like try to talk with a lot of different members and door knocking, like I really can't do the door knocking. At all, in mm-hmm. different new buildings, I have to like really keep the social distancing, so I'm not going to be very dangerous, I guess, at this point to do that. Um, mm-hmm. what else? Oh, um, things have shifted to the point where instead of like so we used to have our meetings in this one little apartment in our buildings, where we're trying to turn them into a cooperative, and what I've did, what we've done now is took that building and term, t- took that unit and turned it into a resource center. Mm-hmm. So it's like a lot of different food there and soap and stuff like that to give to people in need and tissue and stuff. So mm-hmm. that's different too, because I've never did that before.
0: In her interview with me, Jackson discussed the ways in which organizing and organizing tools have been digitized. For example, face-to-face relationship-building meetings called one-to-ones are a no-go, and neither is door-knocking, though she's still able to connect with people over the phone or computer. Uh, According to Hannah Roditti, who is the executive director of Social Movement Technologies, um, which is based off of the East Coast, um, and it's an organization that provides training and support for progressive organizing campaigns, um, Roditti insists that organizers have to be trained to use these digital tools things like Zoom and e-protests and Twitter. Uh, She also believes that organizing campaigns have to be strategic and intentional in how and why digital tools are being used. Rdidi, who is also the organization's founder, believes that training is often the missing piece to organizing success. And now, during a period of pandemic, it's even more important that people are strategic in how they use those tools because they're the only tools they really have access to
3: it's
4: we we tend to you know on the left and in is especially small groups we're just we just always resource strapped right but mm-hmm. i think that um sometimes it can be you know penny wise pound foolish where we're we just like we don't we don't necessarily always invest in training people um and i think with with digital organizing like we we just have to understand that you, it's very difficult to do if you don't get staff trained up you know mm-hmm. i mean it's it's that's true with anything, but in this realm with digital with stuff changing all the time mm-hmm. it's really true I mean like it's extremely the case that you have to you have to plan on investing in training your folks up and your your leaders up, you know um just really important. And sometimes groups have made the, the mistake of thinking that, you know, we're going to hire a young person in and they're more savvy around social media. But, you know, young people don't necessarily have experience with organizing. And, you know, using social
0: media is not the same thing as using social media to organize. But it's not just the organizing itself that's changed. Frogtown resident uh, MK Wynn, a parent and organizer argues that all COVID-19 and the resulting economic fallout has created some fundamental shifts in our communities and in the ways that we organize, um, and even in our relationship with our children. Here's MK talking about what organizing has meant now that she's working from home, and then we'll talk about the St. Paul Promise Agenda, or the St. Paul Promise Neighborhood Promise Agenda survey, which she's been organizing around. You know, that's like, like that's the
5: one thing I can do for at least two people on this planet that like nobody else can do. Yeah. The way I do it. And so because of that, like I lean into that as like a primary like as my primary labor and work and identity. Um and so I used to not be with my kids twenty four seven. You know, I like Bolden is with, you know her mm-hmm. um their their elder, his elders in the daytime while my husband's working, and then still' he's at school until like two Right? yeah, not anymore they're with us all the time, and that I am not talking two other adults face-to-face outside of my husband um, in person, and everything is done in Zoom calls or done, like, virtually. You know, I... So the separation, I think, made me produce milk, you know, like, at work. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, like, maybe one, I think about that. But like now, it's like whenever he wants it, like I'm here, and if I'm having a meeting with people, like I'm gonna physically feed my son. Mhm. And that people, we can, I can still meet, but I'm gonna feed my son. Yeah. Where he's like, is like when we when we were expected to operate under um the you know the ap- the pre-COVID apparatus. Like I was physically separated from my from 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 my kids, yeah, you know, and that um, I feel like that's like a huge difference is that um because I think because I'm with my kids my my son is less like testy with me, you know, and like our relationship has been like way more loving and open and straightforward. Versus when I was like out in community and at work, and that you know a lot of things he doesn't want to expose me to because like he went through all of it when he was like a little baby, you know, so it's like very normal, and it's just like you know it's a lot of adults talking about kids, but like not necessarily centering kids mm-hmm. right and um and so he was bored,
2: mhm,
5: and that I think. Like, a big part of the work that I want to lift up is is that, is that, like, we get to be, we have we are forced, we're in a situation where we're forced to think differently about how we relate to each other, particularly our kids.
0: MK works for the St. Paul Promise Neighborhood and has been organizing and advocating around the Promise Agenda Survey which aims to organize Frogtown resident perspectives around legislative organizing needs. According to MK, the top five issues that have arisen from from survey respondents are increasing teachers of color, post-conviction relief, increasing funding for affordable housing, ethnic studies, and supporting the African-American Family Preservation Act. You can check out Wilder Foundation and the St. Paul Promise Neighborhood newsletter for updates on the Promise Agenda survey. MK's work in Frogtown is just one example, though, of local neighborhood-level organizing. People are organizing in neighborhoods across the Twin Cities, and much of that training for that organizing comes from the Neighborhood Leadership and Organizing Program at the Center for Urban and Regional Affairs at the University of Minnesota. Ned Moore, who's the program director there and a former mentor of mine, says now is not the time for organizers to put a pause on organizing, but rather it's the time to double down on issues and values. Here's more talking about the organizing during COVID 19.
6: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that obviously, in a time of crisis such as this, um, it's a time both where I think people cling to what's familiar, but I think it's also a time for radical imagination and reimagination. And so I think that we're hearing kind of a balance of both. Um, And so really, seeing it as an opportunity for communities to double down uh, on the valuables and principles that they held dear before this crisis, um, values of solidarity, um, racial justice and equity, um, family, home, community. Um, And so I think that... And I think people are holding the fact that it's, in this time of crisis, that um, that this is not normal, but that normal was not working either for communities. And so um, whether you see the systemic failings that are happening across the city um, as like a breaking down in the system or an acceleration of the system, um, I think just a lot of, community organizers, leaders, um, at, even down to the block block level are really grappling with um, how to stand in the gap uh, to meet those immediate needs uh, when systems are failing people, uh, but then also how to continue organizing and building the power necessary to hold those systems accountable and to ultimately transform them um, in order for there to be more equity and justice moving forward
0: Moore also talks about the ways in which the digitization of organizing is actually empowering local organizing campaigns here's more again
6: you know i think of like the the work of pueblos de lucha esperanza um, who has people on their phone call who, who are now switching to doing um you know virtual meetings and have people from North Dakota and South Dakota joining onto the meetings because in the virtual world, North and South Dakota are just as close as someone across the street from you Mm -hmm. uh, when everyone's locked down. And so, in that sense, I think it's like as that, as the world is shrinking to that virtual domain, it also creates an opportunity to be more expansive and to bring people together across geographies, uh, across issues. Um, because ultimately, I think the work ahead is is about really responding in in a spirit of solidarity to m- meet the urgent interests and demands that are arising from the crisis, but ultimately also looking beyond like scaring deeper into the fog uh beyond what's in front of us, and what does it really mean to build a new reparative economy coming out of this?
0: Organizers like Steven Renderos, Executive Director of Media Justice, are also urging other organizers to take pause in this pandemic and think about the work with a long-term vision. The thinking here from individuals like Ned and MK and Stephen, is that this organizing that's happening now doesn't exist in a bubble. And if organizers aren't strategic now in working towards the future, we'll lose sight of what happens in that future. Instead, if we contextualize the work now, and we have what Moore calls radical imagination, we're gonna be able to be strategic and intentional and visionary and reaching towards our values. Rendero talks about this when he talks about the differences between defensive and offensive organizing, but I'd rather just like let him share it.
7: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think to so the what can we do in this moment um yeah, I've been profoundly influenced by uh this um I don't really know how to describe her uh, other than like guru slash, you know, living yoda. Um her name is Norma Wong and she's she's the founder of um this mind body practice called Forward Stance. And she approaches strategy and change. Um within a much longer arc than I think most of us think about. You know, if you're the organizer, you're thinking about the arc of your campaign and, and the scope of, like, you know, at best, three years. Um, but most of the time, you're thinking, like, a six-month kind of window. Like, we, we start the campaign, it reaches a peak, and you hit some sort of resolution. And um, And a lot of that is because of the world that we live in today, like, which is very... Immediate instant feedback we 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 look for for things to happen and move in quicker cycles and I think digital organizing has has kind of you know pushed us to feel you know like that is what change looks like that it happens very quickly um, but norma thinks about it in the you know in the realm of like a three thousand year arc um and one of the things that she uh often talks about is how you know there is kind of the 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 ingredients of like really good offensive strategy um and the problem with movement building today is that we are often coming at it from like a defensive strategy um we are great at defending everything like we will defend from evictions we will defend from like bad stuff from happening um,
3: mm-hmm.
7: And one of the things that she says often, you know, something that she said on a podcast a couple of years ago was like, just because you are really good at holding back the darkness, it does not mean that you're creating light. Um, and so to this question of like, what can we do in this moment? Um, I, I've been thinking about for us at Media Justice, like, how do we do the simple acts that cumulatively make a difference? What's the simple thing that we can do today to ensure that our people have the things that they need in order to navigate this pandemic? And I've asked this question of myself, both as an executive director, like practically what are the things that my staff need to to really meet and and survive and thrive in this moment? Um, So I've had to think about like, what are the shifts that we need to make to our expectations around, sick time and vacation and time off and schedules and pace at the organization. Um, but I have to think about that also within the context of the network that we host. We have a national network of 103 organizations. This is the base that we've built over the course of many years. And here we are like this network facing a pandemic and and how do we meet the needs of our members? Um, so we've, we focused by like checking in, first starting by understanding what their needs actually are, not trying to assume what those needs are, um, but checking in and trying to find out what would actually be helpful in this moment um, Mm -hmm. and what it's led for us.
0: All in all, while COVID-19 has changed the shape of organizing work, it hasn't stopped that work from happening. Uh, For information though on any of these issues or campaigns discussed in today's uh, story in that last segment, please reach out to me and I would be happy to connect you. You can also check out WFNU or JournalismOfColor.com for a link to this episode and for links to the organizations and campaigns that I discussed during that segment. As well, thank you to the many individuals who participated in the making of this segment and this entire episode. I've said this before, but this is my first episode of this show, so I'm still getting comfortable with the technology and sharing my voice in this way, but I wanted to just give you some quick background um, for this first episode on who I am. I am a journalist and a community organizer. I also teach graduate students online through a small liberal arts college in Arizona, Prescott College, that's prescott.edu, and I run the Uptake, which is a local community news organization and media justice framed news organization as executive director. I'm very much excited to be extending my journalistic reach into radio and I'm even more excited to be doing it on WFNU because I believe in investing in community journalism and that our power in community comes when we work with and support our local media and and news mediums. For those of you who are just tuning in, the last segment of this show is a pre-recorded interview with Dr. Amy Marshall, who's going to be talking about mental health and social movement and and because one of the priorities for this show is about talking about community care and all sorts of sustainability in our community so I'm grateful to have had that opportunity to be able to talk with Dr. Marshall about mental health on today's episode for now thank you for tuning in to the Radical News Radio Hour and our very one first- of the things that's most i think
3: or most ignored in um this period of pandemic is the mental health impacts that people are feeling and the ways in which people are being impacted mentally and socio-emotionally by just this kind of onslaught of trauma that's constant and and seemingly never-ending. I have on the phone with me today Dr. Amy Marshall who is a therapist who can tell me a little bit about her work in a minute, and I'll let her introduce herself, but who's gonna talk about the mental health impacts on our communities, on our historically marginalized communities, and on the ways in which we keep and care for our mental health during this period. Dr. Marshall, why don't you give us a little bit of background? Sure, so
8: I um, I grew up in the kind of greater Twin Cities area, but uh, right now I'm a practicing psychologist in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Um, I am working from home, uh, completely doing all of my uh, mental health services over telehealth right now, Um, kind of being able to try to meet people because it's not really a good time to be told that you can't access mental health services, um, but also not really safe to be meeting with people face-to-face.
3: Wonderful. Thank you for joining us here today. So just a little bit of background. What is the relationship between mental health and both the pandemic and the economic impact of the pandemic right now?
8: Sure. So um, there have been in a lot of states an increase in need for mental health services because it just is a very stressful time. Um, People are getting hit with uh, fewer hours or their jobs closing. Um, I know that uh, there was it was said that unemployment resources were going to increase but with that increase came so many people trying to utilize that a lot of the systems crashed so it was more kind of in theory that support was coming but in in practice a lot of people were kind of being left out um, left out to dry as far as being able to pay their bills Um, a lot of people a lot of families with the schools being closed um, parents having to transition to offering homeschooling, providing, in addition to whether they're continuing to have to physically go to work or whether they're working from home, being expected to then also be in the role of their child's teacher. Um, the teacher is having to transition to putting their curriculum online, um, thinking of a lot of people who are looking at uh, applying to college or graduate school, that all of that has kind of been thrown through the loop and then just the huge sense of not knowing when it's going to be over life is always unpredictable and there's always chaos and we don't have control over what's going to happen uh, however we're in a time where that's just very in your face and the few things that we did get to decide for ourselves have kind of been taken like those choices aren't there anymore Thank you. So
3: the work that I do and the work that a lot Mm -hmm. of the people who listen to this hour do is definitely within the the realm of the social justice Mm -hmm. and organizing Mm -hmm. work. And Mm -hmm. that work has its own, has been impacted in its own really specific ways. Mm -hmm. We are talking this hour about the impact that COVID-19 and the economic downturn or having the ways in which organizing happens, but Mm -hmm. what's the relationship between mental health and social justice and organizing work, and then how do we prepare for that when we're actually doing the work? How do we prepare for both trauma and also care for our mental health when we're working with people who are traumatized?
8: Sure. For the the organizers themselves?
3: Yeah, for organizers and Mm -hmm. community leaders who are doing Mm -hmm. similar social justice work.
8: Oh, absolutely. I think that now is a time where all of us in these kind of roles are at higher risk for uh, what in psychology we refer to as vicarious trauma, which is when maybe for you yourself, you know, of course, there's stress and there's things going on, but you're not only taking on your own stressors, but you're taking on the trauma of everyone around you. Um, so that is a big risk factor for burnout. Um, for feeling like not being able to even do your own role, feeling like you don't have the room or capacity to keep doing your role or showing that empathy and compassion for other people. Um, it's exhausting work on a good day. And now you have not only all of your own, and for a lot of us, you know, we're going through this too. We're we're all trying to stay healthy. We're all trying to keep our families safe. Um, a lot of my coworkers, um, I, don't, I don't have children myself, but a lot of my coworkers at my practice had to transition to that working from home and homeschooling while they're trying to do telehealth sessions all day. I think sometimes we forget because we're trying to provide for others that we're also, you know, we're, we're living in it too. We're going through it. And a lot of the, uh, the self-care options, um, you know, for example, uh, the, the parks are closed. It's hard to even go for a walk outside and even be able to let off steam that way, or um, if you have your kind of consultation groups where you check in with each other and want to make sure that everybody is doing good self-care, those those groups have all had to move to online also. Um, There's been some new studies, and this is all very new because very few people exclusively were working from home before a couple of months ago. Uh, but they're, they're calling it zoom fatigue it's not specific to zoom but basically doing the work in person is not it is exhausting in a very different way than doing the work over video is exhausting so when you're in those meetings all day it's a different kind of you have to focus differently on how you're presenting yourself for how you're going to be received and you're focusing differently on picking up on those cues from the other person so then it becomes at the end of all of that the only way for you to connect for yourself is more of that so it's a it's a thing to be mindful of of saving energy to make sure that you're able to still do things that are rejuvenating for you and not just continuing because a lot of us we just want to we want to continue to to give and be there and support and produce for the people that we work with which is absolutely essential and you know the these are not lines of work you go into unless you're very passionate about it but you also have to refill your own glass
2: mm-hmm.
3: what tips and recommendations do you have for any of us who are you know struggling with things like anxiety mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Um, just increased mental health issues or who might not have had mental health issues but are struggling now because of everything going on
2: mm-hmm
3: um, well for the most
8: part services for therapy are still available Um, a lot of insurances are now offering telehealth that weren't before Um, that is something you can check with your insurance company um, or if you're not insured that locations that do either free services or sliding scale services that they are able to continue to see you over the camera Um, So there is help available to be able to reach out. Um, There is also some added flexibility right now. Um, If you're having trouble finding someone locally, um, that states have gotten um, a bit more accommodating with reciprocity. So if locally you're having trouble, you can look at bigger areas to be able to seek out those services. Um, Also, if it's possible, if you're doing a lot of video work, it's being recommended to see if there are times where things can be a phone call instead of a video conversation. Uh, for myself, I had a, a training last Friday after week of week of video sessions. And I kind of just said at the beginning, I will be here um, in voice only. I'm not going to turn my camera on today. And that was nice. It's, it's very different when you don't have to worry about how you're Presenting yourself visually, in addition to the conversation.
3: Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, last question, and then I'll let you sure. go because I know that you're always busy. <laughs> when we're, you know, for people like mm-hmm. myself who are still working in community, mm-hmm. even if that community is not digital, how mm-hmm. do we create community spaces that keep mm-hmm. people's mental health in mind? Sure. So, and another issue that comes up with this is. Um,
8: Because we create the digital spaces, but then there's some limits to, because you have to have then access to the digital space. Um, So if there are opportunities to make things even just be like phone calls, if a Zoom meeting or the the Zoom version that that my office uses has an option if someone doesn't have internet access, if they have any kind of phone, they can call into the meeting so they can still join that space. Um, Creating times, because you have to very mindfully create times to connect with other people uh, for example I know a big part of social justice work is that support from your coworkers, which in my office used to be I was in between sessions somebody had a door open I'd pop in hey how are you doing you having a good day and kind of moving on that doesn't happen because right now because none of them are in my home with me obviously So uh, what our office did is we created specific times to connect that people just pop on off and on at their leisure during those times to be able to check in with each other and
0: still connect. Thank you to Dr. Marshall for speaking with us on that last segment. I think it's really important that we talk about mental health and physical health, especially for people who are already engaged in social movement work because it can have such an impact on our physical and mental well-being, so I want to prioritize that as we develop and progress this show forward. Um, for now, thank you for tuning in to the Radical News Radio Hour in our very first episode. I would love to hear your feedback on that show, so please feel free to get in touch with me via journalismofcolor.com, my website, or via Twitter at C. Miriam. Just would love to hear back from you and, and learn how to do this work better. Um, this is Serene Saade, and you're listening to WFNU LP 94.1 FM, Frogtown Community Radio, St. Paul.